This is the Gary V Audio Experience. All right, everybody. Obviously, legends come through here once in a blue moon. The blue moon is fully out. Uh, if you're watching the visual, my man is repping the Yankees today. Uh, most of you are accustomed to him repping my Knicks. So, uh, our I, Knicks. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I adore this man. He is truly a creative storytelling legend. Uh, I'm excited to have him on the podcast. We've been talking for a year and a half about NFTs, so I'm excited yeah. to see his journeys going on that. I want to talk a little Knicks basketball. I want to talk a little bit about creativity and storytelling because I think that will help the majority of people. But the great Spike Lee is in the building. How are you, sir? Good. And it's an honor to be on Gary V's show. <laughs> Thank you, I'm man. Big time now. I'm big time. You made big it. By the way, I really got excited because watching the Oscars, I see you donated a bunch of stuff. They they played that prominently at the well, uh, museum. It's, it's not a donation. It's on. <laughs> <there. laughs> it's on respect. Well, Let's start with the important stuff. How disappointed or how optimistic, depending on you know RJ's developments and things of that nature. Let's go first into Knicks. We're wrapping up here on the season. Obviously, we're not in the playoffs, which was a minimal goal for us going into this season. We're, we're, last year too. Correct. Where are your feelings at? Well, if you remember the opening night, <laughs> our beloved New York Knicks beat the Boston Celtics in double overtime. Yep. And people lost their mind. That lost, bomb, lost their mind, jumping up and down in euphoria outside Master Garden like we just won the NBA championship. <laughs> I just I, I was I was in the building the night the Rangers won the cup. Uh-huh. And I walked out and people were going bananas. And the fact of the matter is, it wasn't that big of a difference. People, that viral video, mm. bing bong this, like we bing were out bong. of our mind. Uh, and I think that that show how desperate the New York, one of the most loyal mm -hmm. fan base in sports, not just mm -hmm. NBA, how we are starving for a winning team. We have now, we've had two world championships in the history of the New York Knicks. 75-year history of New York Knicks. My beloved 69-70 team and also my beloved 72-73 team. So we have not won a championship since this 1972-73 season. A lot of close calls, but no cigar. <laughs> no cigar. No cigar. 90, 94 was the rough one. That was the one. <laughs> against against Houston, we're up three two. Going back to Houston, the game six and seven. And what's tough about that is, I you know obviously it would have played out, there, but that Sam Cassell shot in game three, I you know obviously I think Houston would have been more desperate in game four and five, and the human psyche, who knows how it would have went, but it's that Sam Cassell three that I think about most. Even more, well, you know, people talk about the Stark game. People talk about a lot of different things. But that Sam Cassell shot, like, tore through my heart. Here's the thing, though. We cannot deal with Hakeem Olajuwon. He's a, he's a beast. He was a beast. 
you know, historically, now you know I love Patrick Ewing going all the way back to George. Love him. Love him. But if you go in there, when they went head to head, Akeem had the edge. He did. And, he did. And that, and that was displayed in that in that seven game series. And I'm not blaming Patrick. I love Patrick. No. You go way, way back. Yeah, and Pat, by the way, with all due respect to his incredible cast, like and the oak tree. I mean, I love Mason, Starks, Rowe, Harper. Like Patrick Ewing is incredibly underrated, in my opinion, on how like you know, some of the like people just forget. They forget. I mean, that right. was his team by a country mile, it wasn't yeah. even close. Yeah, and if you look at the yeah. Put that team on his back. Yeah, like, you know, I think people forget Otis Thorpe against Oakley, what that matchup actually looked like. Like, I, I think people are, I think people, listen, it is what it is when you're at the top of a team. But anyway, all right, got, got a little nicks off because I needed to do that. Let's, let's focus on the thing that I really want to most talk about because whether it was commercials, whether it was movies, even just when I have dinner with you, like, or we interact on courtside for a few seconds, like, you have such a natural communication talent. You as a human being, you as a storyteller, the world is getting more creative. If you look at the current state of attention, TikTok and NFTs have created avenues of distribution and financial opportunity for storytellers unseen and heard of. What makes you such a legend? It, it, is, I mean, it wasn't that the technology board, but uh, Gary, you, Gary, you know this better than anybody. The technology brought about accessibility to people Correct. who didn't have Correct. it. All Correct. Global. Correct. And and especially interesting is, you know, you growing up, you had to break so many barriers. The barriers now are set up the app on your phone and you're in the game. Right. As a universal thing to think about, because there's so many of those creative people listening right now. Right. What, what, if somebody says to you, talk about storytelling. I'm a young person. There's two people on this, two groups right now that I'm very passionate that you talk to. Youth, under 25, under 30, aspiring storytellers, whatever that means for them. An NFT artist, a physical artist, a movie maker, a, a script writer, a TikToker. Creativity is profound now. And more interestingly, or equally interestingly, the 42-year-old who's an executive, works in the government, uh, a teacher, a stay-at-home dad, mom, uh, someone who has finally listened to my content enough to know they're gonna live for another 60 years, and they're like, fuck it. I've always wanted to be creative, and now I can do this on the side, why this thing, and if it pops off, I can go do it full-time. Give me some overarching, Spike Lee legend wisdom on what's a good way to think about creativity from your perspective and your journey, not only you and how you do it, but others you've admired and met through the last 40 years that you're like, oh, that's her process. Oh, that's his process. What, what should be the thought process or some hypotheses of how to get there and be successful at it? Well, I want to thank you, Gary V, for <laughs> lobbing a big fat one, a big fat juicy <laughs> fastball. You're, no, you're a, fastball. A, lob, a, a softball. Right down on the little plate. And I, I, for, I'm in my fourth decade as a filmmaker, and I, I speak all the time at universities and, and colleges. And one of the things I always try, try to strive, I try to hit home, is that over the years, over the decades, parents have killed 
more dreams mm -hmm. than anybody. I'm gonna repeat that. Mm -hmm. Parents have killed more dreams than anybody. And this is specifically when we come to the arts. Parents can understand what you why you go to med school, why you go to business school. But when it comes to the art, many parents have no understanding how you become an actor, a dancer, Orion, a poet, a poet, a painter. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is in the arts, it's, it's some type of mystical thing. And and parents want the best for their children. A hundred percent. And they think in their wisdom, they could give the advice to their children who have nothing want to do with the traditional work thing. Do you think and, fear, parents, and, do you think, and, do you think, yeah. And a lot of times, knowing how parents might have took a second mortgage on the house and whatnot and done everything so you can go to a great undergrad school and the bills and these student loans are crazy. And, and so there comes the, that parental pressure and also guilt knowing that what our parents have done. And many years later, these individuals who took their parents' advice and did, did not pursue what was in their heart end up many years later hating their parents 100%. because they are stuck in a dead-end job because one of the things that could be closer to death without dying is having to get up every morning and go to a job you hate. I mean, that does not bring joy to anybody. You get joy for your, your family, your wife, your partner, your kids. But I'm talking about where the thing you have to do to keep roof over the head, food on the table, clothes on the back, and you hate that job. You are a miserable motherfucker. <laughs> 100%. Miserable. So what technology has done has really enlightened the education of parents like, oh, I don't have to work. My son doesn't have to go to be a lawyer, doctor, whatever, and do the traditional, the traditional route to make a living. And they see examples of this again and again and again, even though they might not, they might not understand at the beginning. But people are making more money in the arts my mama just made me to survive, then this ever happened in the history of civilization. And I think that's, that's making people happier because again, I know I might be, you know, redundant, but when you, and I, here's the thing, Gary, Gary V, my brother, <laughs> I say my prayers every night. I'm healthy, but also, I'm doing what I love. A hundred percent. Michael Jordan, Michael, I mean, as many people said this, when you, if you can make a living, I don't have to be a millionaire, but if you can make a living. If you can pay your, this is what, love, well, this is, this is. Plus, that's a win. That's a W. 
we have to, we have to, have to. It's our responsibility as happy people and whoever's out there is happy. We have to try to reframe success in society, not being about money and material, but being peace of mind and enjoying your day-to-day process. I was equally as happy making 42,000 a year building a business. It was for my father as I am today where I make a lot more money than that. Well, let's not go overboard. (laughs) No, really, Spike, for me, for me, I think I'm, I'm, I know you are. I know you are. I'm extreme on this. Here's the thing, Spike, real quick, real quick on this. Hold on, hold on, real quick on this because this is important because you really have known a lot more wealthy, famous people for a lot longer than I and I appreciate your writing down because you don't want to forget your point. I like that. Um, I'm telling you right now, this is a big one for me. Tell these people, because this is big, explain to them how many millionaires you know that are deeply unhappy. (laughs) Too many to name. But I would like to say, because there's a converse. I mean, there's there's a flip side of this, which this romantic thing of being this starving artist. Fuck right. that. Right. <laughs> money doing your art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, that, to your don't point. Don't that starving artist thing. To Make your point. money on your art. Talk, talk to me about the first time. Let me actually ask you a question I think could bring a lot of value. This might be hard. I don't know if you, can, if you remember it, if it, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know this, so I'm asking for the first time. I haven't asked you this. The internet, when you first heard the internet, you know, what's amazing about the blockchain is it allows people to make money on their art. What the internet did was not. It democratized things. It had a lot of copyright issues. We forget because it was 25 years ago, but you and I are old enough to remember those early days. You were in a very prime position of your career. I can be very empathetic, no different than Metallica and other people. I can be very empathetic if Spike Lee, 1994, five, six, seven, eight, when it was first hitting the scene, was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean somebody's got do the right thing video? Like, am I, what? You know, because the world had come from, you own that shit. Um, and now hearing you say that inspired this question. Were you concerned, anti or pro, curious, or like late to the party or early to the party? I actually don't know. Can you tell it? Because I think this will help people with blockchain. Were you, where were you with, with internet 94, 5, 6, 7? I'm ashamed to say I was late. I appreciate I you for so, saying that. I owe so much. If you're my age and you got children, <laughs> they're like, Daddy, <laughs> I need, today, I need my children to turn on the television. <laughs> yeah. I'm a dinosaur. I'm sorry. I'm just of that. I was born March 20th, 1957, the first day of spring. I just turned 65. Happy so, birthday, my friend. Thank you. So, um, I've been late. You know, but here's the thing, though. Is that why you were so NFT curious? Because you felt yes. it with what, internet? Children. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're, they've taken upon themselves. The hip dead daddy. They're like, daddy. <laughs> Music, TV shows, internet, NFTs. I mean, I owe a lot to them because, and stuff, and Gary, you know, stuff is coming so quick. So fast. My head is like, like this. I'm getting whiplash. I can't keep up. So I owe a lot to my 
the knowledge that I'm gaining to my parents because these this young generation, I, I forgot what alphabet it is now. <laughs> I don't know what else. Zeke. They're, like, they're on it. And I come of a, a time period where this is funny. When you when you had to study, you would sit in a room, your room, or in a library. Shh, you can't talk. You gotta uh-huh. study. My kids, they got the and they're not just I think they're like they weren't the only ones. That they're doing their homework, the TV's on, the laptop's on, they're on their phone, and they got earphones. Yep. And they're doing their homework. I don't yep. get it. I we're, ca- we're we're capable. Mm, I think I'm old. Look, there's many different viewpoints. But for me, when I'm doing something, I got to concentrate on what I'm doing, the task at hand, and not have... That's just me. So and and I, to your point. To your I point. Know, yeah. I know they're doing it, but I don't. I just can't understand. I, if, if I don't have... If I don't have music. I mean, I sleep with a sound machine. I need white noise. Like I, this is why I fuck with New York so heavy. I need, I need it. I need the stimulation. I can focus more music. uh, iMessage popping up with notifications. I can lock in more. It gets me more in the zone. Quiet's got me off. Yeah, exactly. Uh That's why, that's what's so fun about it. Old school. (laughs) When you, when you, um, so internet, you were late. Did you fight it or you were just busy making movies and you're like, I'll get to that later? Or were you like, fuck, I don't like this? No, I was, I was interested because when the term, I first heard the term email, like email. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm from a generation where you took pen to paper and you wrote. Yes. Pen to paper. I wrote letters, postcards. <laughs> You know, love letter, love letters. Spike, I, I love, can't, love letters. I can't even do this with two thumbs. Here's <laughs> me an iPhone. One. Yeah, you're one. You're you're an index finger. I got yeah. you. I like that. That's all I can do. I my my thumbs aren't educated. <laughs> How do you, when you storytell? Like when you yes. make a movie, mm-hmm. do do you write? Do you scribble random thoughts? Is it all in your dome? Impro- how do you? How much do you like improving when you make your? Do you change it? Like how do you play? Well, again, I, I don't. T- I can't type. I fail typing in John Dewey High School in Coney Island. <laughs> you know Dewey, Coney mm-hmm. Island. So I don't have that. So everything I've done, Gary, right. is pen to paper, mm-hmm. and for me. There is something magical about the flow from that, my brain. Mm-hmm. I'm left-handed too. I see it. Creativity. And I look, everybody's built differently, as I said before, but to do this, that just it, it, it flows differently. Yeah, it flows differently. Oh, it clogs the what, a, what, a, what about what about when you start making it? It was written one way. It flowed. Why has somebody typed it up once I have written it out? I got you. It gets it flows one way. It's in your brain. But what about when it's in the moment of capturing the scene? Does it sometimes it felt one way in your head, but now that you're seeing it, you're like, yo, let's change that up. Are you good at the adjustment? 
Oh yes, yes. You gotta be able to look. There's 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 thousands of analogies you can make you can make behind creativity and sports. Mm-hmm. First half ain't going right. Mm-hmm. You make halftime adjustments. Mm-hmm. You gotta make some some adjustments. Also, Gary, film is a very creative art form. So it's not just what I think. Yes. You don't think I listen to Denzel Washington? He tells me, he gives me a of note. Course. Of course. Now, some other people, man, you know, I'm asking, but Denzel, <laughs> I'm like, all right, Denzel. All right, D. Let's actually, try. Actually, let me ask you that. In the history of your films, which is iconic, which actor improv, what is the most famous scene that we all know, or even if it's to the hardest core Spike Lee film nerd, yeah. that was most affected by an actor in full improv. It stayed, it was nothing what you thought, and it's a thing that people can point to, and it's a moment. Is there anyone? Yes. Please, I'm the, now I'm excited. My Morehouse brother, who just finally won his yes. Oscar. Sam, Sam mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I did not know Sam had a substance abuse problem mm. when I cast him for Jungle Fever. Mm. The crackhead son mm-hmm. played by the great late Ruby Dean Ozzy Davis and also played Wesley's Night's brother. So all that stuff that he did with Ruby D and also stuff with Halle Berry. Harry Bell Harry Halle. Halle. Her role was Vivian the three dollar crack hole. Funny story. She auditioned five times. Wow. Because the first four, the fine as she is, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't believe <laughs> that she could that be. She wasn't. She wasn't believe. Right. Dollar crack color. I said, "Man, you're too fine." <laughs> and the fifth time, Robbie Reed, my casting director on the film, told her, "You got to come and dress like Vivian." So I think she didn't take her. Legend is she didn't bathe for a week and just came in like a crackhead. She got the part and the rest is history. But all those scenes in the park and also the mythic scene where they go to the Taj Mahal or the crack den, all that, a lot of that stuff was, uh, Sam's a great, great, I mean, he could do it. And then also, a lot of the funniest lines in the Capital One campaigns that Charles, Sam, and I have been doing for the last nine years, a lot of funniest lines were lines that were ad-libbed by Samuel Jackson. Mm, it's amazing. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that performance was all time. And so a lot of that, you know, that's what happens when it's authentic. Yeah. 100%. I, I had no idea. I understand. Talk to me about um, the people that have inspired you that you would deem as creative. And entrepreneurship is creative. Music, obviously, is going to be an easy one. Um, actually, that, let's just go very narrow. As a child, pre, pre-college, let's talk at 17 and under, mm-hmm. who were your favorite music artists? Prince. Prince, Prince. Prince was must have been later, right? Because Prince. Oh yeah, yeah. I, well, let me yeah. Let me go. Let me go. Childhood, and then yeah. I finished. I finished high school. 
I finished, I graduated from John Dewey High School in Cornell in 1975. Yeah. I finished Morehouse College in, yeah. in, in 79. 79, and I finished NYU graduate film school in 82. So you tell me what era. Yeah, I mean, I'm more interested in like the 60s or actually even like jazz. I was curious if you're, you know, so cliche of, the, of that era, so many people were affected by their parents and grandparents when you're a kid every oh, yeah. era for that matter. So I was wondering if it was jazz or if it was right, something well, else because then later Motown clearly would have been dominant for you and everybody, the world. And then obviously it evolved. Obviously Prince in 75 is yeah, Minnesota. I got, I got yeah. you. I'm gonna start. So my father's Billy, world famous jazz bassist, did the scores for a lot of my films. Mm. At one time he was the number one folk bassist. Mm. My father's played with Bob Dylan, Mm. Uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Judy Collins, Gordon Lightfoot. Wow. I mean, a bunch of people. So in our home, though, it was always jazz was played. And so me, my siblings and I, my father here was, my father here, anything other than jazz in the house, he would say, turn it off, whether the Beatles or Motown. Turn, turn it, it off. off. Turn it off. So even though my love of jazz came from my father, but I still have of a course. wide range of, 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 of my you were, taste. You, and you were a kid of, I mean, being a kid of the 60s and 70s music scene, forget yeah. it. So I have a wide range of music that's reflected in, you know, in the, in the music that's been in my films. But uh, Motown, you know, just got to give, you know, give love to Motown. Marvin Gaye, The Supreme, Temptations, you know, we go on and loaded. loaded. What about physical art or collectibles? Did you collect comic books as a kid? Oh, my, you had to come to my office here in Brooklyn. My office is like a museum. Growing up, the reason why my office looks like it's a museum is because I was, I've always been a collector. Growing up, mm -hmm. I collected Marvin, excuse me, Marvel comic books. Growing up, I collected baseball cards. Did you so, collect basketball cards because you loved yeah, it so much? Yeah, yeah. Basketball, football, baseball. You know, I was a collector. You know, me, my friends, and I. I mean, we we knew and back in the day, the visiting team stayed at the Roosevelt Hotel on Madison Avenue. So when the San Francisco Giants came to New York to play the Mets, we were there at the hotel waiting for Willie Mays. McCovey, Marshall. When the Braves yeah. came, well, who we waiting for? Hank Aaron. Hank. When the Pittsburgh Pirates came, we waiting for the Thursday. And you know, sometimes Starger. the people they would kick us out of so out of hotels. <laughs> but who was actually? That's a fun one. Who was the athlete that was nicest to you when you were a child? Signed an autograph or told you a story or like chopped it up for a second? Does that? I think so. For well, me, it was Ricky. Walt Frazier. Yes, when I was growing up here in Brooklyn, my guys, Muhammad Ali, Willie Mays, Joe Willie Namath, right there, and Walt Frazier. So those were my guys. Those were my heroes. And so I feel blessed as a little kid growing up in Brooklyn, New York. I got to meet these guys. And who I was. 
And so, and and Clyde was amazing when you oh, ran into when you were kid. That was my favorite guy. There's mm-hmm. a jazz club my father used to play at on the west side called West Boondock. And Clyde used to be all coming in all the time. And one day my father came home and said, Walt Fraser in the club last night, and he he he's signed the autograph for me. You lost your mind. Yes. Clyde. Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. That man. What a what a legend. Two-time Hall of Famer. Yes. Broadcast and as a player. Unbelievable. All right. What about, let's talk about something else that I think a lot of people here are going to go through given our audience. How did you handle financial success for the first time? Did you do it well? Did you do it poorly? What did it, and then even fame, because you got fame along with that as well. A lot of more people are going to be famous now because of TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. The world's different now. More have it. What piece of advice? And then obviously you've seen a lot of people on their come up go mm-hmm. from undiscovered to very famous. Even, even fucking Michael Jordan, when you were doing your commercials, was in a different place than he went on to become. What, A, first you, how did you handle it? B, any advice for the kids that are destined for that outcome of things to keep in mind or cliche mistakes people have made? Very good question. I never, my goal was never to be rich. I wanted to be able to be happy with doing what I love. And I remember before my first film, She's Gotta Have It Hit. I said, if I, Lord, Lordy, Lordy, Lord, here's three things I want. I want to be able to have enough money to buy a brownstone in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in a brownstone. Right. If that happens, that want to have enough, that one also have enough, enough money to buy season tickets to the New York Knicks. <laughs> the third thing was, Lord, I want to be able to have to buy a house in Marlon's Vineyard. Mm. And the Lord bless me. So, the thing is that I grew up in a middle class family. But with the exception of Miles Davis, some other people, Duke, Count Basie, there was not a lot of money being a jazz musician. Mm. So, my, as I said before, my father was the top, the view was the go-to guy for folk artists. Mm. When Bob Dylan went electric, my father said, I can't do that. To this mm. day, my father's 93. He's never played electric bass. Who was, your father, who was your father's, fa- two questions, favorite artist on skill mm. and then famous artist as a human being? Do you know? John, John Coltrane. For both? Both. Get the fuck out of here. Yes. So mm-hmm. when my father made the artistic decision that he can't play electric bass, my mother had to work. Because it really affected the financial status. What? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. If you don't pay the bill, the Brooklyn Union gas. It's going to shut off. Your- if you don't pay so, the you- why? Because because at that point, you like <laughs> because because Dylan was the biggest financial aspect at that point, and once he couldn't make that move, do that move, 
he had to reset. Mm-hmm. So I'm the I'm the I'm the eldest of five. So my mother, because she believed that my father is an artist, mm. Mm. she was the sole breadwinner. Mm. She supported. Yeah. Before my when my father was working, she didn't have to work. She had a card to Bloomingdale's for the tailor. And but when that when that my father said I can't play electric bass and hire him. Because when people on the end, when Bob Dylan said, I'm going electric, everybody went electric. I see. Everybody did. So, and, and I had feelings about my father making that decision because I knew how hard my mother was working to support the mm. full family. But then as I've got older, I've come to understand that he's an artist and there were just some things that he wasn't going to do. He wasn't willing to compromise that's right. He wasn't a compromise. Mm -hmm. So I money is, I don't want to say I didn't need money for me to be happy, but at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, I did not believe in this whole thing of this this starving my, artist. Starving artist. Because yeah. I was because my, because you're like it, it became it 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 became a game. Yeah, and we would right. sit yeah. in our brownstone in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, with no yeah. gas. Yeah, yeah. No, because your he point, didn't want to stay electric base. Your point is. Well, I said, I'm a filmmaker. I wanna make. I wanna reap the benefits of my artistry. It makes a lot of sense to me as an entrepreneur. The way I think about it is. This is the only thing I could do. It was why I was a bad student, unlike you. It's I, I can only be this. Mm. And if the byproduct is, you know, obviously with entrepreneurship, if you're good at it and I'm real good at it, yeah, like yes, it's real are. serious. You know I'm what I mean? That. <laughs> you know, I get, that that gets real serious, but that's the luck of the DNA draw. Because if I wanted to draw or sing or or paint or play sports, I mean, I think about, you know, both you and I are sports fanatics. I think about all the guys and gals that um, that went for it. And what's tough about sports is injuries are variable. You know, with me, with entrepreneurship, a coconut has to hit my head and reprogram me. Otherwise, I'm good. In sports, you know, when I think about Sam Bowie or Greg Oden, if we're going to talk some basketball, right? Like, too like injuries tragic. really de tragic. tragic. Too bad. You know, like if the body's held up or if an injury, you know, it's a very different outcome. And so, you know, I think about all the people, but I, but I so associate with your father and you of, I know for fact that nobody knows this for me, not my parents, not anybody listening right now, that if what I do was a $63,000 a year job, then that would be fucking amazing to me. I would live within the means of 63,000. And I did that my whole life. And so I think um, it's very fortunate when, there's a financial aspect to the serendipity of your passion. Yeah. And that's why I love NFTs. And let's actually close out with that. Oh, that's because, was, that, was that the, we're doing. That was a segue. Yeah. yeah well, listen, I just looked at the clock. I got a hardcore 145, and I want to, I want to yeah. really ask you this because I have a lot of friends who are in very power positions who mm -hmm. are staying away from the, um, the NFT space out of lack of curiosity and of out of lack of interest in putting in the homework. And one of the reasons I wanted you on the podcast was it struck me 
Um, we've always had mutual friends yeah, uh, yeah. through the years, but we've never really chopped it up. And when the NFT thing went down, I could sense your energy that I you intuit. Did I reach out to you? Mm -hmm. Yep. I knew who and, was dope to. <laughs> and so I think to, for that reason, mm. please help other people who are really pronounced in their careers, mm. whether in front of the scenes or behind the scenes. What made you really curious about it or interested? What gave you the engine? to go at it and what have you learned in the last year and what would you say to the people who are still debating it based on what you've learned and what you're seeing? Well, thank you for that question. As I said before, I've been behind and through my son Jackson and my daughter Satchel, you know, they- Is, your daughter, is your daughter named after Satchel Page? Yes. yes. That's amazing. So and That's also amazing. we got a we got a, a Bastiat. Mm. That's funny. I love it. <laughs> so again, I have to give it to my children. And say, Daddy, you've been late in the other things, but don't sleep on this. And so I did. I do. Here's the thing, and and I know you say this a, a million times. But you have to put the work in. And I spell like Rihanna. W-E-R-K. Work. Whatever you're doing, you have to put the work in. Whatever. And when I saw the potential of NFTs and being a creative person, and what automatically clicked for me is that I, my first film She's going to have it, which I all had to die to make it. The initial, the budget was, the initial budget of it, my first film, She's Going to Have It, came out in 1986. Cost $175,000. It oh. went on to make $8.5 million at the box office. And I own that film. I own Do the Right Thing. I own Malcolm X. I don't own school days. I don't own inside man. I own she's gonna have it. And she's gonna have it where the world was inter introduced to the original sneakerhead. The original B-Boys, Mars Blackman, who blew up, who the, the advertised agency, Nike's advertised agency, Whitey Kennedy, saw she's gonna have it and saw that Mars was wearing Jordan's. And as favorite players, Michael Jordan, they got the brilliant idea to put Mars together with Michael Jordan, and it changed the motherfucking game. It changed both of your lives. Yes. So I own this character. I said, boom, shakalaka. <laughs> I got to come out with an NFT for Mars Blackman. Yep. What? What is it? it so... Is it going to be just a collectible? Is there going to be utility? I'm not up to date. Give me oh, the 411. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a whole, we got a whole program. And I have some, I've assembled a team. Yeah, do me a favor, because we're going to run out of time here. I just want this for yeah. my own personal. Send me the info on that. Obviously, that was a quintessential moment. And, you know, I was born in 75, growing mm -hmm. up in Queens and Jersey, predominantly in Jersey. But like that was, you know, besides the fact that I hated Michael Jordan from the get, because I knew it was going to be trouble. 
Like, you know, Spike, tell all the kids that don't know, those early years, very much lost in history, especially after losing to the Pistons over and over, right before he broke through against the Lakers. Those last two years before he broke through against the Lakers, the volume got real loud that he'll never win one. I can remember kids in sixth grade debating, Michael will never win one. He's too ball greedy, ball hog. Remember? I mean, this was a, people forget. But I even knew back when you did that commercial, I said, fuck. He's got, he's in, he's in our conference. Eventually it's going to happen. It did. And it happened. And it really happened. And it really happened. The world changed. So I want to thank you just again for, 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 first of all, for being my friend. (laughs) And, and I really appreciate the, the thing I love about you, Gary, is that there are people that have information that don't share it. I know. You share information. You share information. And that is a professor. You are a professor. That's what professors teach and professors do. They teach because they want people to be educated, whatever the subject matter is. And because me, ignorance is fucked up. It's, you know? it's the great vulnerability of our lives. It's where so much hate and anger and sadness comes from. Yeah. And to your point, it's incredibly rare in entrepreneur land for people to share information because the information is money. Right. And they want to hoard it. Correct. To get it. And something in the way Tamara Vaynerchuk raised me, uh, back to something that I've become really aware of, which is if you grow up with not a lot of finances, but you grow up very happy, you're pretty much in the best position to succeed in life because you've learned that that's not based on happiness. And then right. finally, the big breakthrough for me, somewhere along the line, I realized, I wasn't taught this, I learned it by living, that the world is actually abundant and other people winning, even if it looks directly in your game, other people winning will never stop an A player from winning. There is not a human on earth. All the entrepreneurs I admire, none of them, not she, not he, not she, not he, not she, not he, that their winning takes any way shape or form away from my winning. And for me, whether one-on-one over a nice bottle of wine with you or whether in my discord or Carbone. my social. Carbone. Big Italian for me, For me, all I want is to see everybody else win. Now, am I competitive? Do I want to like, do I want to be the best? Of course I want to be the best. I'm curious if I am the best. I want to operate the game. the other stuff though. Correct. Right? And by the way, it's even better than that. When Chris Saka and Scott Belsky, when we were all angel investing back in 05, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, I'm pumped to just name drop both of them right now. They did a better job angel investing than I did. And that makes, I actually like losing a little bit. I just want the game to be merit-based. And I definitely want people to win along the way. Everybody as much as possible. And I, I thank you for saying that. Can I, I know you're on a yep. time. Can I just say one last thing? Of course. Today, Monday, today, as we speak, I want people to go to the, to my website, theinvisibleproject.io, and click on the Discord, and you get all the information you need about the drop. The and, Mars- and real quick, real quick, real yeah. quick, I get very worried because people put up fake URLs and things of that nature. I assume on your verified Twitter account, the actual right URL will be there, correct? Yes. Good. So for everybody, if you're curious, if you're like me and you love that character, you're curious about what they're doing, I'm curious myself. Uh, 
go to go to Spike's t- Twitter account. I'm sure the URL's there. We one. I just made a video. I, I'm very worried about people clicking fake URLs. So let's be uh, careful on that front. Legend, thank you. I will see you plenty soon. And, and, and uh, when's your convention? Oh, VCon. VCon v- is May 19th to the 22nd. And where is that? Minneapolis, Minnesota, U.S. Bank Stadium. The great Spike Lee will be there. And Prince, we're gonna get some Prince love. I would love to. We're gonna have Prince. Prince music has already been locked and loaded in the stadium. That's how much that man. That man. But we should go by uh, what's it called? His spot, the studio. There's a museum now. Oh, I don't know. I'm not educated on that part, but I would, I, if I had time, I might the day after VCon. We'll see how I, my schedule yeah, works. Busy. Spike, great yeah, to Paisley see you. Park. Thank you. Paisley Park. Paisley Park, exactly. Yeah. My man, thank you. No, thank, thank you. you. We'll talk soon. Love you. Well, let's go to a Yankee game together, all right? Ben. Or you Mets. No, I grew up Yankees. I'm raising my kid Mets because of his cousins. And the Yankees, right. the Yankees won in 94, the Rangers won in 96. And that was a wrap for me. I just need one title. It's all Jets, Knicks now for me. But right. I grew up exactly the same as you. Yeah, yeah. N- Yankees, Jets, Knicks. Did you did you fuck with hockey back then or not really? You know, I, I went to the Ranger game once. Yeah, because the right because the Garden. There was a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, man. I love you. Talk soon. Bye bye. Hey.